A few weeks ago, I laid out a bunch of ideas for what to do during this coronavirus shutdown. And some of you have pivoted to a takeout model, but I know a bunch of you out there have decided to just close. So for you guys, I was suggesting you use this as an opportunity to rework your menu, to do some development, and maybe, maybe even set up a food shoot. This could be a great use of your time and a great way to throw a little cash to a talented freelance photographer who is undoubtedly hurting during this tough time. So on this week's episode, I'm going to show you how to find, hire, and work with a great food photographer. What's more, I'm going to share insights about how to build a long-term relationship with someone who gets what you're trying to do and can properly capture that in a series of images. I promise a ton of great information on today's show. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. So each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. That means doing more covers and driving more revenue. Each week we choose a different topic. We pick it apart, we come up with some key insights, and then finish up with an assignment. I always leave you with a short actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the ideas we talk about right here on the show, because as I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, if you like the show, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and make sure you're sharing these episodes with the people you work with. Changing the culture in your restaurant begins when you start letting people in, when you show them what it is you're thinking about. Now, as the saying goes, a picture's worth a thousand words. Day after day, we're pummeled with images, graphics, logos, most of which are trying to sell us something. All of us buy things, right? So you certainly know what it's like to experience this as a consumer. But as a business owner, you're also a merchant. So you may lament a simpler time when the marketplace wasn't quite so noisy. But like it or not, this is now the way of the world. And sure, Things are quiet now, but I promise our industry is going to come roaring back and our market will soon be oversaturated again. Crying about it isn't going to help you fill your seats. Neither will using your iPhone to capture images of your food as it comes off the line. Your audience wants more. In fact, they've come to expect more. People use the internet to search because they're curious. So when we come out of this, it's going to be more important than ever to show off what it is you do, and luckily it's never been easier to do that. For all the complaining we do about social media and how it's corrupted our society, the thing it does very well is bring connection. Certainly all of us can attest to that right now. It may be a scary time in the world, but we can take some small comfort in the fact that with one swipe of the phone, we can connect to people thousands of miles away. We can do that to check in with family and friends. Uh, we can also promote our restaurants and help attract new customers right here on our phones. So when a customer is deciding where to go eat, they now have tools to help them choose. 
I moved to New York City in 2003, and I can remember how stressful it was to make a dinner reservation. So my wife and I were new to the city, and we didn't have a lot of money to blow on fancy meals. We would go out to celebrate a birthday, perhaps, um, but we would save up for like three months just to afford that meal, and we'd only do it like once a year. Since our money was so precious, we really took our time to decide. We couldn't risk spending all that money on a bad meal. And back then, there was no social media. In fact, many restaurants didn't even have a website. And those that did usually just used it as a landing page, right? So they'd list their hours, location, and maybe a phone number. If they had a picture or two up there, you were lucky and forget about a menu. I mean it. Especially with the nicer restaurants that change their dishes often, it was too expensive to keep changing the site all the time. Remember, back then, you needed to hire a webmaster for that sort of thing. Anyway, my point is, back then, it was totally different from what we have now. So on the one hand, it was exciting to arrive at a restaurant because you didn't really know what it was like back then. You, you hadn't seen hundreds of pictures of the food and the space. But the opposite was also true. An unsuspecting diner might get surprised by the prices or realize upon entering that this wasn't the vibe they were hoping for or disappointed when they looked over the menu to find it didn't really appeal to them. These days, websites and social media handle this for us, and if done well, they can do this better than just about any other tool available. They have the ability to communicate exactly what the dining experience will be like, the vibe, the food, the prices, and the kind of audience we're trying to attract, but you have to use those tools properly to reap the benefits. So I'm going to use a couple of examples. We'll call these case studies because uh, there are places doing this well and there are places that still need help. So a lot of times on this show, I'll talk about fine dining restaurants. It's because that's where my background is, but that's not all I do. I've worked with a bunch of casual concepts, including QSR, and the things I'm preaching apply to them as well. I'm going to show you what I mean. So let's take a second and talk about casual dining, right? So let's talk about pizza. I'm talking no frills, neighborhood pizza joint. Tommy's Original is in my hometown of Westchester, Pennsylvania. It's right up the street from the high school I attended, and it's delicious. I can remember going there after Friday night football games and theater rehearsals. The place is nothing special, but the food is great. So I'm including links to their website and their Instagram account so you can see for yourself, so you can see what I'm talking about. If you landed on either of these pages on your own, there's no way you would order from them unless I was here to vouch for them, unless I told you that despite what you see, the food is actually great. Because when you look over them, what would make you think that? The pictures on their Instagram page are awful. It looks like some old lady snapped a picture on her old flip phone. And their website is really just trying to capture online orders, which is fine. I appreciate their directness. But if I just moved to the neighborhood and I Googled pizza place near me or good subs near me, except I would have to type in best hoagies because that's what we call them in Philly. But anyway, if you Google that and it returned this place in the results and you clicked on Tommy's Originals website, you would click the back button pretty quickly. And here's what you need to know. Westchester, Pennsylvania is a college town. So Westchester University welcomes a host of new students every single fall. And you know these guys are ordering junk food like pizzas and subs, excuse me, hoagies. But the average 19-year-old is pretty savvy when it comes to the internet, and there's no way this place is getting their business. So they're losing the internet search game every single day, probably sacrificing thousands of dollars a week just because their pages stink. So 
I order from Tommy's like once a year, usually when I'm home visiting my parents who still live in the area. And I enjoy the food every single time. Their cheesesteaks are terrific. Their strombolis are packed with good stuff. So the last time I was there, I actually took it upon myself to leave my card uh, to be passed along to the owner. Um, I, I told the woman at the front desk, I said, hey, I don't live here and I'm not looking for your business, but I love this place and I'd love to share a few pointers um, so so you guys can up your digital marketing game. Uh, if the owner has time, I, I'd love to set up a meeting while I'm in town. And you guessed it, nothing, which is fine. Maybe the card never got to him, or, or maybe my message was poorly received. I just honestly wish I could have helped because it wouldn't take much to show off the brand properly. To prove that point, I want to talk about a client I do work with here in New York called Oxido. So they're a casual Mexican concept near Bryant Park, very similar to Chipotle, where you build your own burritos and bowls you know, on the line, except everything there at Oxido is made in-house. Sauces, chips, tortillas, everything. It's fresh and gourmet and packed with flavor, all for about the same price as a Chipotle burrito. And if you look at their feeds, again, I'm including links to their website and the Instagram page, I think you'll see that we've captured their brand brilliantly. The pictures are eye-catching. They show off the vibrant colors and diverse mix of menu offerings. Would you believe, looking through this, that the average item is just 10 bucks? For everyone who says high-quality pictures are only for fine dining, you're wrong. They often help sell casual places even better. The thing is, people say they expect less from a casual place, but that's not true, not in practice. In reality, all of us have grown accustomed to high-quality images. The bar is now set so high, and like it or not, we have to rise to the occasion. And that means one of two things. Either you have to learn how to shoot high-quality photographs of your dining room, your food, and your cocktails, which you can do. Remember, I'm running a workshop this summer for just $197. In fact, from now through the end of the month, I'm offering a half-off discount for listeners of this show. It's called Killer Content, and it's all about capturing great food photography. The link to that is in the show notes. You can do that. Learn how to use a DSLR camera and do your own photography or you can hire a food photographer. And for many of you, this will be the way to go. And so I wanted to spend this episode talking about how to find a great food photographer and how best to work with them. So I'm breaking this episode down into a couple of different sections, four in all. Number one, how do you go about finding a great food photographer? Number two, how do you negotiate with a food photographer? Number three, how to prepare for the shoot? And number four, I want to share tips for capturing the very best images possible. So with that being said, let's just jump right in. Number one, how do you go about finding a great food photographer? Well, this all depends where you are. If you're in a big city like New York or Chicago or LA, you have tons of choices available to you. Often in those markets, it's about finding an affordable photographer and one that's actually available because once a photographer makes a name for themselves, they tend to work all the time. Smaller markets, of course, have less choices immediately available and be warned, you can't just hire any photographer. They have to understand food. You want someone who understands how to capture food photography. No matter where you are though, these days, I would start by scrolling through Instagram. Check out other restaurants in town and see who they've worked with. Oftentimes a restaurant will credit the photographer either in the caption or by tagging them in the image. So start by making a list of names, contact info, and restaurants they've shot for. You could also search the hashtags food photography or food photographer. 
You could also check Facebook. There's a food photographer's group called The Bite Shot. If you can access it, you'll find tons of terrific people there. If you're in a large market like New York, uh, you may also want to flip through uh, some magazines. So publications like Bon Appetit or Food and Wine. Uh, Also, the edible magazines uh, often feature great content. And then finally, you can check out reviews in local papers. So like here in New York, the New York Times and New York Magazine will often hire uh, freelance photographers to come shoot the photos that will accompany the regular reviews. You can probably cross-reference the name to find a website or social media account. It's not hard to track those people down. If you can, try to look over a broad range of their work to get a sense of what they do and what they don't do. For example, if you look at my portfolio, you'll see that I love harsh contrast, meaning the whites are white and the blacks are black. I also love saturated colors. My images tend to be darker and moodier than a lot of other photographers. So while yes, I know how to put together a light airy shoot if that's what's required, I don't think that that's what I do best. And so if you're trying to promote that kind of product, I don't think I'd be your first choice, which is fine by me, right? As I say in marketing, you can't be all things to all people. So do what you do and do it better than anyone else. I would also recommend You look through some websites of other restaurants in town. If you see images that you like, then try to connect with the owner and ask who they used. Often people are all too willing to help out with things like this. And who knows, maybe you'll be able to return the favor down the line. Now, if you're in a very small market and you're really stuck, then I say you get creative. You can look at some other photographers in town, the professionals who shoot weddings or portraits or real estate or whatever, and you can see if they've ever done a food shoot. Most of all, you want someone who understands how to use a camera and someone who knows how to use artificial light because often restaurants are dim and you'll need someone who's willing uh, to work with flash. Do this and see if there's anyone willing to work with you. Who knows? You might get a discounted rate because it's outside their comfort zone. So they get to add a new section to their portfolio and you get images at a reduced rate. It's a win-win if all goes well. Of course, there are also photography students. If you have a college or university nearby, there are definitely options out there, so go explore. Do all your research, make some lists, and then get ready to start sending some emails. But before you reach out to anyone, I would have some dates in mind. Even if it's something as vague as sometime during the first two weeks of May, it'll help. Then, your photographer will want to know the following information. Where is the shoot? What will they be shooting? Who will be preparing the food? Who will be styling the food? And how are you planning to use the images? You'll also want to have some concrete information to help them gauge whether this project is right for them. So this requires some specificity on your part and some knowledge of what the given photographer does well. Being able to communicate exactly what you're trying to convey is difficult. That's why creative directors are so well paid at advertising agencies. They're able to craft a vision and then communicate that vision to a host of people, right? So copywriters and photographers and graphic designers and web designers and sales teams and branding strategists. Luckily, you just need to communicate your vision to one person. And if you've been following along with this podcast for a while, you already have some tools to help you. Specifically, the marketing pillars we talk about in the very beginning of this podcast, and also the elevator pitches you crafted in episode number 47, specifically the short elevator pitch. So the owner of Oxido said to me at the very beginning, we're fast, casual, modern Mexican, kind of like Chipotle, but with a special attention on fresh, healthy, flavorful recipes. 
boom, I had something to work with. So I used a variety of colors to help communicate freshness and flavor. So we pretty much sprinkle cilantro over everything in every one of our shoots because I want green to be everywhere. Uh, juicy limes are almost always in the photos. We, we don't do anything heavy or gross. So we never shoot burritos packed to the gills because they're targeting a young fitness-minded crowd and we want to present the food as a healthy alternative to Chipotle. So you don't have to have it all worked out before you make the call, but you need to know what your brand is and be able to communicate that. You want to be able to highlight what sets you apart from your competitors. And again, you already know the answers to many of those questions. So back to those other questions. Where is the shoot? So usually it's just going to be in the restaurant, right? But have an idea of a space you can use. Is this shoot going to be during business hours? You'll want to make sure then that you have a dedicated chef or a team just for the photo shoot. You can't have the photo shoot holding up the customer's food or vice versa. The other question, what will you be shooting? Best to be clear right from the start with what you need captured. I've had issues with this in the past where a client would hire me to shoot the food and then halfway through the shoot, they say to me, and then when we're done with this, we were thinking maybe we could get some shots of the dining room and maybe the chef and some of the managers. And I feel bad, but I have to stop them right there and say, no, I'm sorry, but I'm not prepared to do any of that. Those shots require a whole other set of equipment, different lenses, a tripod, a trigger, different lighting, etc. So of course, it's also a whole different setup, meaning when I prep a food shoot, I can usually be ready to go in about 20 minutes. But then if I'm shooting portraits, that's not only a different combination of lights, but it's also another 20 minutes or so of setup. Uh, often there's just not enough time. Likewise, any real estate photographer can tell you that a room shot isn't ever as simple as just stepping back and snapping the shutter. Staging the room so every little detail is perfect takes time and often we won't realize something is off until we snap the picture and take a look at the image on the screen. So taking room shots is a whole other thing and they only look good one of two ways. Either if the room is totally empty or if the room is totally packed. Anything in between and it kind of looks sad. So before the shoot, determine what the plan is, what you need shot and communicate that. When you're talking about food, make sure you know how many different items. Keep in mind, I usually count on 10 minutes per dish. Some photographers take longer, but not many will be able to go much faster than 10 minutes. You want the time to look at the dish, shoot it from a couple different angles, uh, to be able to shift the lighting a bit, shoot it with and without a sauce, with and without silverware on its own, then maybe with a glass of wine, and all of that takes time. So count on 10 to 15 minutes per dish. That's about five or six dishes an hour. Who will be preparing the food? So this is usually a much larger conversation when it comes to shooting a cookbook, but still, you should know who will be cooking the food for this shoot. If it's you, then just say, I'm going to do it all. If it's your chef or a sous chef or a cook, make sure those people know they're doing it. Invariably, the next question the food photographer will ask is whether the chef has prepared food for a professional shoot before. So at this point, most chefs are used to their food being photographed, but the question is whether they've worked with a pro. Be honest. If you've never worked with a professional food photographer before, then just come out and say so. Come right out and say, this is actually a first for us, and we're looking to you to help guide us through the best shoot possible. They will appreciate that and will have valuable tips and tricks to be able to help everyone do their best. Now, who will be styling the food? 
Who cooks the food is usually pretty straightforward, but this one ends up being a little trickier. So when we talk about styling, we're actually going to break it down into two different areas. First, the food itself, and second, the props, meaning plates, silver, glassware, etc. Do not underestimate how hard of a job this is. I remember I was working for a big deal photographer a couple of years back on a big ad shoot, and the photographer's day rate was like two grand, a big number. But like I said, this was a big deal client capturing content for a national advertising campaign. But get this, the food stylist got twice what the photographer made. No joke, twice. And it was my first time really watching a food stylist work. And by the end of the 10-hour shoot, I was like, oh, (laughs) I get it now. If the food doesn't look great, it doesn't matter how good your photographer is. Now, you certainly don't need to hire a stylist. Usually, that's just for big shoots like cookbooks or print ads. But you got to know who's going to be plating the food for the shoot and what plates it's going to go on. Oftentimes, you assume, well, it's just going to go on to the plates you serve it on. But sometimes for the shoot, you may want to think outside the box and, and come up with other ideas. That's where it's good to start thinking about this sort of thing long before the shoot. And then finally, the last question they're going to want to know is, how are you planning to use the images? This usually helps the photographer quote a price. Now, depending on your market and the level of photographer you hire, you'll see this handled a bunch of different ways. Some people will charge a flat day rate just to shoot, and then you pay per image depending on how many final shots you select. Others will just quote an hourly rate for the shoot and then a separate hourly rate for all the editing. And then others will charge a day rate for the shoot and then a licensing fee for usage. Basically, that means for one amount, they will let you use these images for two years on all digital platforms. Or for a higher amount, they'll allow digital and in-house print like brochures, menus, and signage. And then for an even higher amount, if you're going to use uh, these images for advertising purposes. So obviously, if you're Tommy's original, you're not going to be dealing with questions like this. But if you run a restaurant group of five or six properties and you do some advertising in magazines and tourism brochures or whatever, then yeah, the photographer will expect to be compensated appropriately for the images being placed in those places. Full disclosure, I just charge a flat rate. So half day, three hours is one price and a full day, six hours is another price. I'll shoot one dish or cocktail every 10 minutes, so in a three-hour shoot, we can expect to capture at least 18 different items, a full day, at least twice that. Then for that set price, I also guarantee at least two edited images of each item. But I'm not working with Burger King or Blue Apron. My clients are almost all standalone restaurants. The images are being used on their website and social media, maybe on some postcards and takeout menus. The advertising my clients do isn't in Departures Magazine. It's usually just in local papers or magazines or more often than not, just on Facebook. So for me at this level, that works. And I think for most of you out there, you're going to find photographers who work on a similar level. But I tell you all of this just so you know that different photographers will work differently. Be prepared so you know how to steer the conversation back to something you're comfortable with. So then, armed with answers to all of those questions, you're ready to start making some calls. Start with your top choices, then make your way down the list. Invariably, people are going to be busy or they're going to quote more than you can afford. Fine. Keep gathering information and find someone you're comfortable with. For a shoot like this, you should be able to find someone between $200 and $600. Again, for like a three-hour shoot. 
depending on their experience and the market you're in, of course, that'll change. It's an investment. And remember, you'll have these photos as assets moving forward, able to use them in a bunch of different ways down the line. Now, the next area we want to talk about then, the next big area, number two, how to negotiate with a food photographer. So this really goes hand in hand with everything we just discussed. Understanding what you're looking for and how you expect to use the images just puts you in a better place to negotiate. So is the price exactly what you expected? Great, lock them in, put it on the calendar. Oftentimes, however, that's not going to be the case. So is the price way too high? Only you can determine what you can afford, but don't kill yourself to try and get them down. It might just not be a good fit. Is the number though just a bit out of your range? Well, now you can see if you can get them to a number that you can afford. Maybe you don't need two different images of each dish. If you just need one great image of each dish, then say that. It'll save them time on the back end when they have to edit. That might help them do the job for less. Make sure you have a clear picture of the whole, everything you need. Finally, when we talk about negotiating, make sure you understand all of the deadlines up front. When will you get to see proofs? Do you get to pick which images get edited or does the photographer? How long until you then get the finals? How are those files going to be delivered? Dropbox, WeTransfer, flash drive, and what file formats are you going to need? Again, this has to do with usage. JPEGs are typically best for the web, but then uh, TIFF files and PDFs are better for print. Understand your needs so you can properly communicate what your needs are at the beginning. Next, we keep moving on. Number three, how to prepare for the shoot. Just like I mentioned at the top, being able to articulate key information about the restaurant and your food is key. You have to bring this photographer up to speed quickly so that they can successfully capture your food as you want it captured. I always like when clients share some inspiration. Other images that they love, images that capture the qualities that they think are important to their brand. Um, I also like some sort of description of what kind of look they're going for. So dark and moody, light and airy, youthful and dynamic, austere and cold, whatever it is, I want to get a sense of their vision for this shoot. I also like when clients tell me which of my images really speak to them. What about the image lends itself to your brand? So I like the stark lighting, or I like all the shadows that you use here. Uh, I love the glisten you know, throughout the image, whatever it is. This way I can start thinking in a certain direction uh, about my setup. A good photographer will certainly have their own style for sure, but they should also understand enough about the medium to be able to adjust their style when needed. The better you can articulate your vision, the better off the photographer will be, the better off the final results will be. So once the date is booked, make sure you generate a calendar invite. This way, everything is on everyone's calendar. After that, you'll want to provide the photographer with a clear vision for the shoot, including any inspirational images they use as reference. About a week before the shoot date, you'll want to provide the team with a finalized shot list, meaning these are the 15 items we'll be capturing in this order so everyone is on the same page. A confirmation should then be sent to the team the day before so that the photographer, any assistants they may work with along with the chef, and anyone else internally who needs to be reminded. Then, on the day of the shoot, make sure the space is all ready to go. The table is cleared off and there are at least two or three smaller tables nearby. 
One will be for the photographer's computer. So most photographers will shoot tethered, meaning they'll have a cable going from their camera to their laptop. This will allow everyone to see the images instantaneously. Uh, you'll want another table to be used uh, as a landing spot for the food that's about to be shot. And if you can spare a third table, this is going to be for any styling tools, which we'll get to in the next section. Also, make sure the photographer has a chair so she can sit down between items. And if you have a stepladder nearby, it's sometimes helpful for getting those overhead shots. That then leads us to the final section here today. Number four, my tips for capturing the very best images possible. Make sure you check your ego at the front door. This is good advice most days, but especially when you're inviting another creative into your creative space. It no longer matters how good your food tastes. It's all about whether the food looks good. A good food photographer will know what's required to make the food pop. Trust them. Build a strong collaboration. Now, on episode number 22, I shared a bunch of insights into my process uh, when it comes to shooting food. They've helped me immensely over the years, and so I want to share them again. They're that important. Number one. Never sauce the food in the kitchen. Always keep the sauce on the side and sauce it once you get it into position. Check your settings and only pour it right when you're ready to shoot. Sauce will die quickly. It will pool. It'll congeal. Save it till last. Tip number two, careful with the garnishes. With food photography, the viewer needs to see the image and know right away exactly what the food is. I found that garnishes can sometimes muddy the image, so use them sparingly. On the other hand, when you're shooting cocktails, I almost always ask my bartenders for garnishes, and they'll sometimes say, well, this drink doesn't really need a garnish. For photography, it does. It will help anchor the eye and give the camera something to focus on. You need it. Tip number three, in general, you'll often want to undercook the food to keep things looking plump and fresh and vibrant. Food, all food has a tendency to wilt or soften once it's cooked, which makes sense. You're breaking down the protein or the fiber or whatever it is, which is great for chewing and digesting, but not so much for food photography. Tip number four, when plating the food, think of the photographer's dilemma. They're going to be looking for the most interesting angles of the food, right? So in the end, you can't be afraid to replate the dish, even just offering to replate the dish, right? No one is perfect and you plate your food so it looks good in the dining room. That might not necessarily pop for a shoot. So you just have to keep the, um, the lines of communication open so that you can get the most out of this relationship. Number five, you're going to want to keep a couple of wet wipes nearby to wipe any smudges or stray sauce. Number six, keep a pair of kitchen tweezers or chopsticks nearby in case you have to reposition the food. You don't want to get your hands in there. The chopsticks or the tweezers are going to be best. And then finally, number seven, I always keep a little bowl of olive oil near the set with a kitchen brush. This way I can brush the meat just to give it a little glisten right before I shoot it. Or sometimes I'll drop a little oil onto a salad at the very last second. Now remember, it's all about collaboration. It's about bringing two creative entities together to get the best images possible. You will have ideas and so will your photographer. Keep things open and make sure you're checking in throughout the shoot. You want their ideas and experience. It's only going to make the final product better. I hope this has been helpful. I know it was a lot of information, but hopefully it takes some of the mystery out of this process. Remember, it can be as simple as you need it to be. You find someone whose work you love, you agree on a price, and then you capture your food so that it makes people want to come in and eat your food. 
As we head into another week of this shutdown, I want to remind you that community is everything. Please keep in touch with me, keep in touch with your staff, and keep in touch with your patrons. And make sure you're building alliances with the other businesses that are also being affected by this crisis. Your assignment is to start researching food photographers in your area. If you've done shoots before, take this as a challenge to branch out and explore other photographers. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, this is your invitation to get into the game. I hope you're using this time to your benefit. I hope you continue to use this time to your benefit. If you do end up scheduling a shoot during this time, send me some of your favorites. I want to know more photographers. Again, you can email me, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. I appreciate you being here. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and I will see you all next time.